happen. I like how we sang that chorus. Children are dismissed to junior church, as I say this. Children, go and head out to junior church. We come together as a congregation and we worship our awesome God and therefore he is awesome in this place because of the congregation gathered here worshiping our Lord and God. We're going to turn to Romans chapter uh, 7. Romans chapter 7. And I thank Steve. I want to thank him for praying for me. I appreciate your prayers. You know, somebody shared once this illustration with me, and I thought it was really good, and, and I've thought about it before, and this may help you. You know, Jesus had the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. We serve a risen Savior. You know, he's in the world today, and, and uh, he's still living, you know. He's still resurrected. We celebrate that every week. Well, after he was resurrected, he was walking on the road to Emmaus, right? You probably all know the story. He's walking on the road to Emmaus, and two of the disciples are there, and they didn't recognize him. And it's an interesting story, uh, just thought, you know, this is really a counseling thought, where you imagine yourself walking with Jesus down the road, and you get to the end, to a fork in the road, you know, and you imagine the conversation kind of, kind of, you go your separate ways, you know, you've laid your burden on Jesus, you've given him whatever's bothering you, you've turned it over to Jesus, and you walk one way and he walks the other way. Now, all metaphorical language fails in the end, because as Christians, we are always with Jesus, you know, but it is an interesting little illustration, you know, as you prayer journal, maybe, or as you write in a journal, and you're trying to release yourself of a burden, imagine yourself walking down the road, literally telling it to Jesus, Jesus, this is my burden, I am giving it over to you, and uh, it's something we all need, right? Because there have been a lot of burdens this last year, right? We make, uh, we, we carry stress. We make maybe um, things that really aren't even our burden. We make them our burden, right? I mean, there is so much hostility and, and divisiveness going on in our world today, isn't there? And we obviously need to turn to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ more than anything else. So, we're going to go to Romans chapter 7. We're preaching through Romans. We're continuing our trek through Romans. And Romans chapter 7 today, you're not going to want to miss next week. I'm just going to give you a little, a little teaser, a little preview. As we get into Romans, we're going to mainly focus on Romans 7, 6 today. This is an easy passage compared to next week. Okay, if you read ahead, next week we're going to look at Romans 7, 7 through 24. And as I prepared that message, because uh, I work ahead on my sermons, I'll review it this week, but I do preparation ahead. As I was preparing that message, I thought, wow, I have to get smaller sections of, of, of Romans for these sermons. And I messaged, I, I always share my sermon series plans with our worship leaders, so I emailed Steve a revised series plan for Romans 8 through the rest, because it's, it gets, you know, we're getting some really, really tall cotton, some really heavy stuff as we're continuing our way through Romans. In the next section, Romans 7, 7 through 24, is where the Apostle Paul goes in great detail saying he does the things he doesn't want to do, he doesn't do the things he does want to do, and we look at that, and there's three different views which we're going to lay out next week. One is, uh, Paul is talking about his own spiritual struggles as a Christian, as a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul does the things he doesn't want to do. He doesn't do the things he, he, he does want to do. He gets caught up in the doo-doo, you know? And that's one view. The other view is Paul is talking about his pre-Christian self. And the other view is Paul is just talking as an, uh, writing objectively as, a, as an unbelieving Jewish person. And I probably fall in one of the last two. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But I think it, 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 after that, we're going to get into Romans 8. And where that is very, 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 very important is in Romans 7, 
starting at about verse 14, going through 24, the Holy Spirit is not mentioned once. The Holy Spirit is mentioned like eight times or more in Romans chapter 8 alone. Romans chapter 8, we're going to get in there in two weeks. John Piper called it the most important chapter in the Bible. It's powerful. And actually, that's why I don't think that Romans 7, uh, verses 7 through 24, is talking about Paul as a Christian. The Holy Spirit isn't even mentioned. And the point here for all of us is we need the Holy Spirit. We need Jesus. Paul ends Romans 7 saying, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Jesus. We can't do the law on our own. We cannot save ourselves. We need Jesus' help. And that's what Paul continues and continues to build upon, continues and continues to elaborate in the whole book of Romans, is that we need the gospel. Jewish people need the gospel. Chosen people ministries, really, really good ministry to help reach Jewish people with the gospel. Gentiles, non-Jews, they need the gospel. Every one of us need Jesus for salvation. So, We're going to continue talking about that today. With the theme today, we are released from the law and bound to Christ. We are released from the law, bound to Christ. Our old sin nature died with Jesus, laid in the tomb, and we were resurrected with Christ. We are released from the law. We are bound to Christ. We are to walk with Jesus. John Ortberg tells this story. He says, my friend Jimmy and his son Davey were playing in the ocean down in Mexico. While his family, his wife, daughters, parents, and cousin were on the beach. So Jimmy and his son Davey, they're playing in the ocean. The rest are on the beach. And they're in the ocean off of Mexico. They're all playing. They're all having a good time. We can all imagine, most of us probably, what it's like to play in the ocean, playing in the, you know, in the waves and having a good time. That's what they're doing. Suddenly, a rogue riptide swept Davey out to sea. Immediately, Jimmy started to do whatever he could to help Davey get back to the shore. But he, too, was soon swept away in the tide. So just imagine, the whole family's on the beach, but Davy and his father, Jimmy, they're being swept out to sea by this, by this riptide. And Jimmy knew that in a few minutes, both he and his son would drown. He tried to scream, but his family couldn't hear him. And we probably know what it's like to be on the beach. You know, the waves are crashing. It's too loud. Your family's not going to hear you. Ortberg says, Jimmy's a strong guy, an Olympic decathlete. But he was powerless in this situation. As he was carried along by the water, he had a single chilling thought. My wife and my daughters are going to have a double funeral. Imagine. Meanwhile, though, his cousin's on the beach, right? His cousin, his family's on the beach. His cousin, who understood something about the ocean, saw what was happening. He walked out into the water where he knew there was a sandbar. And he had learned that if you try to fight a riptide, you will die. You can't fight the riptide. It's counterintuitive. It makes, you know, you feel the riptide pulling you out. It makes sense to try to go to the shore. But if you do that, you will die. Well, his cousin knew that. So his cousin walked to the sandbar, stood as close as he could to get Jimmy and Davy's attention. And then he just lifted his hand and yelled as loud as he could, You come to me. You come to me. Come to the sandbar. Let that riptide take you out until you're out of it at the sandbar. And then we can get to the shore. If you try to go the way your gut tells you to go, if you try to go the shortest distance into shore, you will die. If you think for yourself, you will die. And God says the same thing. God says we are to come to him. We can't follow the law. We can't do that. We have to go to Jesus. Because if we think for ourselves, we will die. 
It's death or life. So the Bible talks about this as we continue our way through Romans. We are in Romans 7, and in this small passage, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, uh, we continue to build on what was going on in chapter 6. Chapter 6 was all about how our sin nature died with Christ. Our sin nature died with Christ. Our old self died with Christ. That's what baptism is about. We are buried with Jesus in, in, in the waters of baptism, and we raise to new life in Christ. And that's what Romans 6 was about. And Paul continues to build on that in Romans 7, 1 through 6. You know, our old self died to the law. In fact, he calls the law our old spouse, really. And, you know, we were married to the law, but the law died, and so we are now married to Jesus. We are married to King Jesus. We live for King Jesus. So here's my theme. We are released from the law, bound to Christ. We are released from the law, bound to Christ. And the application is walk in Jesus. Walk in Jesus, from Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So we're going to read Romans 7, 6, and then we're going to read Colossians 2, 6, and then we're going to walk through this. So Romans chapter 7, verse 6, if you're um, there in the notes or in your Bible or whatever, your, your phone. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 6 says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve... In the, in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. And I want to read Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So I want to look at at verse 6, verse 6 of Romans 7, Romans chapter 7, verse 6. But now we are released from the law. We are released from the law. The Bible says that we are dying to what once bound us. We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. The law held us captive in a in kind of a metaphorical way. And, you know, we couldn't keep the law. We, we died to that with Jesus. That's, again, this is building on Romans, Romans chapter 6. All these chapters go together. The chapters were not original to the Bible. We have to read them and study them in context. We were bound to the law, but not anymore. Do you think the law helps us live for Jesus? Now, we could continue and build on this and the idea that uh, we still have the moral law and we try to follow the moral law. We try to follow Jesus, but we couldn't do it on our own. We we need Jesus' help. In Galatians, which is kind of the Cliff Notes version of Romans, in fact, we could even even call maybe Galatians the Idiot's Guide to Romans, you know, those uh, Idiot's Guide books, the Cliff Notes version. Uh, Don't take that too far. Forget I said it. Anyways, I preached through Galatians two years ago, if you recall. And in Galatians, the Apostle Paul called the law a tutor to lead us to Christ. The law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. Now, in the Greco-Roman world, they had tutors, and a tutor was a formal position. It wasn't just like a tutor to help you with math or something. This was a formal position. And in in the Greco-Roman world, a Roman man, a Roman husband, a Roman father might hire a tutor for his son. And that tutor was not just a teacher. That tutor was a strict disciplinarian. And eventually the tutor kind of released them to freedom as they grew up. And the law, the Old Testament law, was a tutor to lead us to Christ. We are released. But we couldn't keep the law. We needed Jesus. And and, and here's a thought. Do you think the law makes us righteous? 
The law won't make us righteous. It was just leading us to Jesus. We, we can only receive righteousness by trusting in Jesus' blood on the cross. There was an experiment that shows how the law leads to sin. You know, different type of people. Some people are rule followers. Some people are, maybe they wouldn't admit that they're not rule followers, but given a circumstance, they might bend the rule a little bit, you know, like, like speed limits. I mean, think of how many of us here maybe stay right on the dot of the speed limit or a stop sign in the middle of the night. I might come back to that. But here was an actual experiment, okay? Robert Cialdoldi, Cialdini was a researcher, and he was an expert on the theory of persuasion, and he wanted to conduct an experiment. Out west at the Petrified Forest National Park in Arizona, he wanted to conduct an experiment. The park had a problem, and the park made this problem clear in a sign. The park had this sign. It said, your heritage is being vandalized every day by theft. Losses of petrified wood of 14 tons a year, mostly a small piece at a time. So people went through this petrified forest... And they would just pick up a small piece of petrified wood, thinking it's just a little piece, and people thought that it was okay. Well, that piece by piece added up to 14 tons a year. I don't know how they did the math on that, how they figured that out, but that's what they said. So the sign plainly appealed to the visitors since a moral outrage. So Robert Cialdoni, this expert in persuasion, wanted to do an experiment. He wanted to know if this appeal was effective. So he and some colleagues ran an experiment. They seeded various trails throughout the forest with loose pieces of petrified wood, ready for the stealing. On some trails, they posted a sign warning not to steal. On other trails, no sign. The result? The trails with the sign warning not to steal had three times more theft than the trails with no sign. The trails with the sign, warning not to steal, had three times more theft than the trails with no sign at all. How could this be? Robert C. Aldani concluded that the park's warning sign, designed to send a moral message, perhaps send a different message as well. Something like, maybe people thought this, Wow, the petrified wood is going fast, I better get mine now. Or maybe they thought, 14 times a year, they're not going to miss just a little bit. So they stole more. Sometimes laws don't help us. Sometimes the rules and regulations just make us break it. And that's a comical illustration. Just say the law wasn't making us righteous. We needed salvation. We could not keep the law. We needed Jesus to fulfill the whole law and die on the cross for our sins and rise again. And, and certainly that's just a humorous, humorous example. But as I already shared, we all know what we are like, right? I mean, are you one of those people? That if it's 2 a.m. and no one's around, and you stop at the red light, and you're sitting at the red light, and you're waiting, and waiting, and waiting, you might look both ways and think, I'm going to go. Now, there's other people, and maybe your spouses compliment each other. You might stop at that red light. It's 2 a.m., and no one's around. But you are a rule keeper. You're not going to break that rule. You will wait and wait and wait. Your spouse, maybe your kids, others in your car saying, just go. I knew a guy at my last church. He got kidney stones a lot. And once he had a kidney stone and his wife's driving him to the hospital in the middle of the night. He has a kidney stone. He is in extreme pain. It's the middle of the night. His wife stops at the red light. And it is, there's no one around. He's like, honey, go. You know, I'm in pain. 
You know, different people, psychologists will talk about that, actually. Different people who follow the rules no matter what. But the point here is that no one can keep the law. We need a Savior to deliver us, to fulfill the whole law for us. The law does not make us righteous. In this passage, this passage is not at all saying the law is bad. The law was that tutor to lead us to Christ, and we still have the moral law, which is good. If you read Psalm 19... And Psalm 119, they both are talking highly, worshiping the Lord for the law. Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. The law was not a bad thing. Not at all, but it was to lead us to Christ. So now this passage is saying that we serve in the new life of the Spirit. We are released from the law, having died to that which, has, which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We now serve in the new way of the Spirit. We walk with the Holy Spirit. You know, with children, it is said when you take something away, replace it with something else, right? And this is especially true the younger your kids are, right? You take those real keys away, maybe you give them fake keys, you know? Well, the Apostle Paul right here is contrasting the that we don't live by the law anymore. We serve in the new way. We are replacing it with the new way of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives within us. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit. In that manner, we are released from the bondage to the law. And instead, we have the Spirit. The point is that our first husband was the law. That's what this passage says. Our first husband was the law. And he died. So we are free to marry our new husband being Jesus. Our first husband was the law. He died. We are free to marry our new husband, and that is Jesus. And Paul can, writes about that theme in verses 2 through 5. The law side died with our sin nature. You know, as we committed to Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, have you ever done something? And you thought it was going to correct something or make something right, make it perfect, and it just totally backfired. Chuck Smendall, I love Chuck Smendall's story stories and he tells this story he says stories are mirrors to ourselves they are aren't they <clears throat> and he tells a story he says a friend had a labrador retriever imagine a labrador retriever right big dog maybe 90 pounds great dogs great dogs well, his friend had a labrador retriever he loved his labrador retriever and the dog is outside one morning and the dog comes to the back door and the dog is holding something in his mouth so he thinks, I wonder what's in his mouth. I better open the door and check on it. Well, he opens the door, and the dog has a neighbor's ra rabbit, rabbit in its mouth. And the neighbor's pet rabbit. And the rabbit is quite obviously dead. So he, he thinks real quick and thinks, I'm going to fix this situation. So he gets the rabbit out of the dog's mouth. And he takes the rabbit to the sink and washes the blood off, makes it look all clean. Then he takes the rabbit to the bathroom and gets out a hair dryer and dries his hair and makes the rabbit look all fluffy and good. And then he waits for it to be nighttime. And he sneaks outside and puts the rabbit back in his hutch, opens the hutch real quietly, puts the rabbit back in the hutch, lays the rabbit down, thinking he'll just find the rabbit the next day, and the rabbit will just look like it died of natural causes. Next morning, the neighbor comes over, and the neighbor says, knocks on the door, he opens the door, the neighbor says, we have a real sickie in the neighborhood. We have a real sickie in the neighborhood. He's like, what? what? What's going on? We have a real sick man in the neighborhood. We got to do something. Three days ago, my pet rabbit died, and I buried it. And somebody dug it up and put it back in his hutch. 
he was trying to fix the situation, and it totally backfired. And that's probably just a total made-up situation in, in, in general. But either way, trying to fix it, and it backfired. And that's the same thing with the law. Our old sin nature died to the law when we committed to Jesus Christ. We, that first husband, which was the law, died. And even if we try to keep it and try to keep it and try to keep it, if we're not living for Jesus, if we're not committed to Jesus... It does no good. We need Jesus' help. And this goes along with Romans 6, 3 through 4, which we talked about last week. I'm going to read Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4. It says, you know, Paul says, shall we, you know, just sin and let grace abound? And Paul says, by no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with Jesus by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Look at that. That's powerful. We were buried, therefore, with Jesus by baptism into his death. That old self, that law-bound self, you know, died. The tutor of the law led us to Jesus, and now we are committed to Jesus. That passage says, you know, we too might walk in newness of life. We are free to walk in the Spirit. We are free to live by Christ. Look at Colossians 2.6, as I already read. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We are now married to Christ. The whole church is married to Christ. We are called the bride of Christ. Christ is the groom. We walk in Christ. Let's apply. We now serve Christ out of grace, not because of the law. We serve Christ out of grace, not because of the law. And we serve Christ by the Holy Spirit inside of us. We are not in the flesh, as verse 5 says. We are no longer bound by our sin nature and the sinful passions. We are in the Spirit. We must live in the Spirit, being an imitator of God. And you can look up Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, and verse 8 and verse 15 about imitating God, walking in the Spirit. Also, Colossians 1.10 and 2.6. Now, in the newness of the Spirit, we produce fruit, spiritual fruit. We must live in Christ victoriously, not as if we are defeated and stuck in sin. We are not defeated. We are not stuck in sin. We are more than victors, more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We'll come back to that in Romans chapter 8. Our old sin nature, our flesh nature died with Christ. So we are pre-resurrected with Christ as well. We must live this way. Max Lucado tells a story. I really like Max Lucado's stories. Max Lucado said, the bank sent me an overdraft notice. On the check, on the checking account of one of my daughters, he received an overdraft notice on the checking account on one of one of his daughters. He says, I encourage my college-age girls to monitor their accounts Even so, they sometimes overspend. He says, what should I do? Should I send her an angry letter? He said, admonition might help her later, but it won't satisfy the bank. Should I phone and tell her to make a deposit? He says, might as well tell a fish to fly. He says, I know know her liquidity. My daughter's liquidity is zero. Should I transfer? This is his third option. Should I transfer the money from my account to hers? He said, seemed to be the best option. After all, he says, I had $25.37. I could replenish her account and pay the overdraft fee as well. Since she calls me dad, 
I did what dads do. I covered my daughter's mistake. He says, when I told her she was overdrawn, she said she was sorry. Still, she offered no deposit. She was broke. She had one option. She said, Dad, could you? He interrupted, honey, I already have. I met her need. He writes, I met her need before she knew she had one. He met his daughter's need, the overdraft need, the fee, before she knew she even had one. And here's the application. Long before you knew you needed grace, your father did the same. Long before you and I knew we needed grace, God the Father did the same. God the Father made an ample deposit. Before you knew you needed a Savior, you had one. And when you ask him for mercy, he answers, Dear child, I've already given it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you so much for your grace. We cannot at all understand how much we need your grace and how much we need your mercy and how much we need salvation. Lord God, I ask that you help us abiding in you. <clears throat> help us as a congregation <clears throat> living what John 15 says. Abiding in you as John 15, 4 says. Help us as a congregation living knowing that you are the vine and we are the branches. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team comes up, I always say this. If you have questions about God or the spiritual life, talk to me. I'd always be interested in talking to you and helping you out. The altars are opened. If the Holy Spirit has laid anything on your heart, you're always welcome to come forward and pray.